If you have your Bibles, open them up. Luke chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. Like Matt said, my name is David. Uh, take care of the youth ministry here. love doing that. Uh, if you don't know me, come introduce yourself. I'd love to uh, meet you. Uh, let me pray before we jump into uh, our text uh, today. Uh, Father God, we, th- we thank you uh, that we can come. We thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can uh, hear your word. And we pray that as we uh, read it today, as we think about it deeply, that you would change us, that you'd move in us, uh, that you'd help us see the emptiness of the things that we're holding on to and find our hope and our joy in you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, we've been doing a series on contentment for the last uh, two weeks, so I hope you all are perfectly content, right? We don't need to do this anymore. We're done. Move on. Something. No. Okay. So we're going to go keep going in contentment. Uh, we're going to be looking at today, really, what, what does contentment look like uh, in the difficulties of our life, in those uh, hard times, in those, you know, uh, times which uh, we may be unexpected. We're, we didn't expect those things to come into our life. How do we have contentment in the midst of those uh, kinds of things? Because I think it's easy for many of us to feel that we can be uh, content when things are going uh, well. Uh, I've heard us say things, you know, kind of like, hey, you know what, Uh, things are going well at work, Uh, you know, the kids are doing well, so I feel pretty content. And we kind of, you know, draw our contentment from those things that are happening around us. But the real question is, uh, when things that are difficult come, it's really going to test that contentment, whether that's really a, a true contentment or just a kind of superficial fleeting one. And so I had a, an experience like this uh, when Clarissa and I were, were just married. Uh, you know, we uh, got married when we were 23, and 10 days after we got married, we moved to Japan. Uh, we moved to Japan, and we were working with a Christian uh, media organization there. I was making films for them, and she was doing the graphic design, and it was awesome. Uh, we were newly married, and we were uh, enjoying all the ramen and sushi we could eat. We were enjoying uh, Japan. And, you know, it, the place we were staying on was not that great. There was holes in the walls and lots of spiders. But if you asked me if I was content at that moment, I would have said yes. I would be like, things are, things are good. Things are going well, so I'm pretty content. Uh, but then uh, we got a phone call, a phone call that none of us uh, like to get. Uh, and that phone call was my mom from Canada. And uh, she called and uh, told me that my dad uh, had fainted and taken a fall. And uh, so he was in the hospital. Uh, they were doing some tests to find out what was wrong with him. Uh, but they found out that uh, within a couple of days that uh, he had uh, stage four uh, cancer and he had three months left to live. So, so in, the, in the midst of that, do I have contentment? Because contentment is not just, oh, I don't want more. Contentment is something else where we can say in hunger and in need, in plenty and in want, I'm content. And so I realized in my, in my heart, I was not, I was not content. I, I, was, I was upset. I was frustrated. I was bitter at God. Why this? Why me? Why my dad? And, and so I think what we all need to realize is that the contentment, we can't have it come from our circumstances. It, it can't come from the things in our life because the things in our life change. You know, jobs come and go. You know, sicknesses come. The stock market goes up and down. All of these things move, move and change. And so our can't, contentment can't be rooted in that. It needs to come from somewhere else. It needs to come from something outside of our circumstances. 
And that's what I think we're going to see here in this text today. And so uh, the main point, if you like taking notes, you can write it down, is, is going to be this. Uh, contentment is not found in what, but in who. Contentment is not found in what, uh, but in who. Contentment is not found in the, the things that are happening in our life, the what, the situations, it's found in God. And that's what we're going to see today in the story of Mary. We're going to look at the story of how Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, told her that she was going to bear a, a child, the Messiah. And what I want us to do is there, there's lots of things in this passage that we could focus on and look at, especially about Jesus. Uh, but today, just in terms of the contentment, I want to focus in on Mary. I want to focus in on her reaction in the midst of this uh, situation. So uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read through the passage, talk a little bit about Mary, and then I'm going to give you two points. Uh, so we're going to start Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26. It reads like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's God's word to us this morning. Uh, what we see in this passage is, is, is an incredible reaction by a young girl. In the midst of a time when everything in her life was thrown up in the air. Uh, Mary was probably uh, 13 years old at this time. Maybe a little bit older, but no more than 15. But think about 13-year-old grade 8 girl in your mind. People you know who are grade 8. It, it's this young girl... She's betrothed to a guy named Joseph. Betrothed is kind of like an engagement where they were legally kind of married but not living together yet. And that would be, usually be about a year process. But a, a bride price had already been paid uh, for her. This was, this was in the works. And, uh, and if you imagine Mary, she's a young girl. This is, this is an exciting time for her. Right? This is kind of perhaps what she's, she's dreamed of. Getting married to a, a great guy, Joseph. He's a righteous man. He's a carpenter. Right? Like all those things that she's seen on Pinterest, she, he's going to make them for her. Right? All those wooden chairs and shelves. Oh, Joseph's going to make them. It's going to be great. He's going to build little baby toy, toys for our, our, our babies. It's going to be awesome. Right? And you can imagine her just being excited. Excited about what, what is this new life with Joseph going to look like? He's going to be living in a new house. Maybe he's building it right now, getting it ready for her. She's counting down the days till the wedding. She's excited. What is this going to look like? And it's, it's in a matter of, of minutes, really, that all of the expectations of her life are, are turned on their head. 
because uh, the angel comes and says, hey, you're going to have a son, uh, not by being with a man, but from God. And you can imagine Mary at that moment being like, no one's going to believe this, right? No, one, no one's going to believe that that's actually why I'm pregnant. And so all these, these things are probably flooding to her mind. Thoughts about how is this going to impact all of my relationships? Because Joseph, the man I was super excited to spend the rest of my life with, uh, he's probably going to feel betrayed. Uh, he's probably going to feel bitter, angry, upset. He's probably going to divorce me. My family, right? Her, her family would have felt like she dishonored them. Uh, they, she would have, they, they would have been upset that all this has gone on. You've ruined all your future chances of marriage, Mary. And, and now we've got to go give the bride price back. It's this big deal. You know, Nazareth was not a big town. It was 200, 500 people. Everybody knew what was going on here. It would have dishonored her, her family. Everybody would be talking about it in the streets. And I mean, like, there, there was a, a law to consider as well. In that time, if you were, you know, caught committing adultery, then you could be, you could be killed. It wasn't always kill, carried out, but that would be something in the back of her mind. There's a, a lot of things that her life just changed in that one moment, in that announcement from the angel. And yet, in the, the midst of all of that, Mary is able to somehow submit to God's plan, to be content. Like, it's not a couple days down the, the road or a week later, like in the moment, she's able to say, okay, let it be to me according to your word. And so the question is, how? How does this 13-year-old girl have that kind of response? I think the answer is her contentment was not in what, but in who. It was found in who's in charge and who was with her. So those are our two points. Who is in charge, who is with us. That is where contentment is found. So let's look at the first one uh, together. Contentment is found in who is in charge. And so we see Mary right away uh, here in her response say, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a, I'm a servant of the Lord. She recognizes that the Lord is the master. He's in charge and she's a servant and he's a good master. Uh, not only in charge, but he, he's good and whatever he gives her will, will be good. It doesn't matter whether that's, that's hard things or, or, or good things. Like, like Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. She recognizes who's in charge and she recognizes the goodness of it. And so for us as Christians, we also, we have a similar promise for us. In Romans 8.28, Matt talked about this uh, last week, he said, uh, the passage says, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So we can trust that whatever has come into our life, whether that's a, a phone call bringing bad news, or, or, the, or that's a situation at work, that, that God is working good in those things. Now that, that was, we could say, well, it was easy for Mary to believe that. Mary could believe God was working good because the angel told her what the good was. Or the angel come and said, hey, the Messiah's coming. Right? You're going to be the parent of a sinless child. This is going to be awesome. There's no discipline. This is great. Amen, right? Okay. Like she, she, she could see what the good was. She could see that there was good. For us, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder because when, when things happen in our life that are difficult, we don't know what the good is going to be. And we can't always see it. But that doesn't mean it's any less true. 
Just because we can't see or know what the good is doesn't mean that that good is not going to happen. You can't too strongly believe that God will work all things together for good. It's not just a theoretical, theological truth. It needs to be a reality in our life. That whatever comes, God is working good. I don't know what it is. I can't see it right now, but I trust that he is. But this doesn't also mean it's not incredibly hard. Uh, When sickness comes into our life, when there's financial difficulties, it's hard. It is. And it it doesn't mean we need to say that we're, we're happy all the time. Uh, it doesn't need to mean, say that we're, you know what, this, this circumstance is bringing me contentment because it's not. This circumstance is not great. We don't need to pretend like everything is good because we know that our contentment doesn't come from our circumstance. It comes from God. Right? So it's not about making our circumstance good. Be honest about what's going on. It's not great. But that's not where my contentment comes from. My contentment comes from God, that he's in charge. Uh, here's a real practical example of what this looks like in somebody's life. I've been reading through uh, about uh, George Mueller, his autobiography. George Mueller uh, ran uh, some orphanages in uh, Bristol, England uh, during the early 1800s. His first one started in 1836. And uh, he was an incredible man of faith. He didn't uh, solicit any donations from anybody for this. He just uh, trusted the promise that God says, I am the father of the fatherless. uh, Therefore, God's going to provide for these orphans. And he just trusted that people would send in the money and donations to care for this. And he did. It was incredible. Um, But what's interesting is you you kind of read through uh, his story and reading through some of his journals, and you see that in the first uh, year and a half that he's running the orphanage, uh, things are going well. Uh, There's some large donations that had come in, and and things were going going good. They they had enough. But then things start to kind of teeter out a bit. Their donations still come in, but not as much, not as often. And they start to get to a point where it's kind of every week, they're just having enough money every week to get through, and then it becomes every day. And, and it gets to the point where they're starting the day with either nothing in their, their hands or very little. And it's at this point that George Mueller writes this in his journal. He says, Our poverty had now become very great. Greater it had never been. Yet the Lord be praised. Our poverty was very great, but yet the Lord be praised. How, how can he say that? We're poor, we're not even sure we're going to be able to feed and give bread to the orphans tonight, but God be praised. Well, the reason that he says is because he knew that God was working some good in this. Right? He didn't always know what it was. Maybe it was just for them to grow their trust and reliance in God, that even in these small things, he would still provide. He didn't know what it was, but he trusted that God had a good purpose, so he would praise God. He'd praise God even in the midst of that. Uh, so for us, we can, we can be not only okay with the circumstances in, are we in, we can actually praise God in the middle of them. In the middle of those hard times, we can praise God because we know that if there, was, if there was anything better for us, if there was anything more glorifying to him, we would have that. This is the best thing for you. In your life right now, this is, this is the best. If there was something better, God would have given it. Right? D- different types of plants need different light. Some need shade. Some need sun. We all have different things, and, and God has, has given each to us what is best. We don't always know what that is, though. 
I think our, our tendency, though, is to think that the grass is always greener in somebody else's situation, right? We kind of look and we, we see what somebody else has or, or doesn't have, and we think, if, if my life was like that, it would be better. All right, I think that Mary probably was tempted to something like this, right? You know, a few months into her pregnancy, she's beginning to show and people are starting to make comments and she probably looks around at some of the other girls in the village, girls she's grown up with and thinks, well, they're married now and everything seems fine. No one's making fun of them. All my, my other friends seem great. The, the human tendency is that we, we think that any situation is better than the one that we're in right now. Right? If we're having you know, trouble with our health, we think, man, if only my life was like this guy. He, I mean, he has trouble with his marriage, but I could deal with that. Right? If we have trouble with our marriage, we think, well, if only I had trouble with my finances, then things would be better. Then I could be content. Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs gives this great illustration of this. He says, we're, we're like a child that's trying to reach for the clouds of contentment. And, and we run up to the top of the hill and we try and reach for the clouds because we think at the top of the hill, then we can, then we can get the clouds. Then we can find contentment. And we, we get to the top of the hill and we, we, don't, we don't have contentment. And so we look around at the, the other situations, the other hills that are, that are around in other people's lives. And we say, well, that hill's a little bit higher. If I was at the top of that hill, then I could reach the clouds. And so we run up to the top of that hill and we realize that when we're at the top of another hill, another situation, we're just as far from contentment as we were before. The clouds are still not in reach. See, if, if just having a change of our situation, it's not actually going to make us content. Because contentment doesn't come from what? It comes from who? Uh, we see this in the example of uh, Peter. Uh, Peter, Jesus' uh, disciple. Uh, there's a the great kind of post-resurrection scene. Jesus has been resurrected. All the disciples are on the beach eating a bunch of fish. It's great. And uh, Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter had denied him. And so Jesus is in the middle of restoring him. And they're kind of having a convo. And eventually, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, you know, uh, Peter, basically, you're going to die by crucifixion. And, and you can kind of sense in the story that Peter's discontentment is kind of starting to well up a little bit. He's kind of like, oh, wait, okay, that sounds hard. Well, what about the other disciples? Are they going to have the same thing as me? Is that, is that also going to happen to them? And he looks over and he sees John. John, the disciple, is there. And he kind of says, Jesus, okay, well, what about, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? Look at how Jesus uh, responds. John chapter 21. Uh, when Peter saw him, that's talking about John, uh, he said to Jesus, uh, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so Jesus', Jesus response is, hey, Peter, if John, if I keep him alive until I return, what does that matter? I've given you a task. I've given you a job. You, you follow me in the things I've given you, not in what other people have. Don't worry about those. How are you going to glorify me in the things that I've given you? And, and that's a question for us. How do, how do we glorify God in the things that he's given to us? How do we seek to honor him, enjoy him in, in these difficult times where we could, we could say, yeah, my life would be better that way. Well, yeah, but can we find contentment in what God has given us? Can we worship him simply by submitting ourselves like Mary and saying, let it be to me according to your word? This doesn't mean we don't try and change our situation. It doesn't mean that we're just totally passive and we're just like, okay, well, whatever comes, comes, right? It's not that. You know, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, 
Uh, chapter 7, he's talking about uh, people who are slaves. They become Christian. He says, you know what? If, you're, if you were, became a Christian while you are a slave, don't be concerned with that. Like, don't be like, so worried that you have to stop being a slave. He says, if you can, if you can get your freedom, do it. Good. Awesome. But if not, it's okay. And, and so for us, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's saying, you know what? If, you know what? if you're stuck in traffic and you're discontent because you're stuck in traffic, it doesn't mean you can't go and try and find a better route. Right? It doesn't mean that you're stuck in a bad job and you just got to say, okay, well, I've got to just stay here. I can't do anything. No, no, go apply for another job. Go do that. But the real question is, what, what's your heart in that? Right? Like, is your, is your heart at rest if those things weren't to happen? Right? So, so would you be okay if you never worked a different job in your life? Would you be okay if you never bought the house that you hope to have? Would you be okay if the relationship you're hoping for never works out? Would you be content? It's not wrong to pursue after those things. Like, go do it. Go ask the girl out. You know what? Go apply for the job. But when you do it, you do it with a heart that's already full, that's already satisfied, that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but if I don't get it, I don't need it. Because my contentment is not in what? It's in who? It's in who's in charge. And whatever God brings into my life, I will be satisfied with that. It is exactly uh, what Jesus does, in fact. Jesus, right before his crucifixion, uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what's he pray? He says, uh, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Right? So he's saying, uh, God, uh, I would love if I could not be crucified. It would be great if that could not happen, but not my will, your will. And that's our posture as well. We say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after this thing. I'm going to pray about this thing. But if it doesn't happen, Lord, then I can, I'm still content because I know that it's coming from you. If you say no to my prayer, then I still trust that that was a, a good answer to that prayer. That was actually the thing I most needed. That itself, that contentment, that satisfaction is an act of worship. To be able to say to God, I trust you. I don't, I don't trust my opinions about what I think is best. I trust the master. I'm the servant. I, I trust you. That is worshipful to God for it honors him. I'll give you an example of what this looked like in my uh, life just recently. Uh, uh, with Christmas coming up, there was the new uh, COVID restrictions that came in. I was really looking forward to a big dinner with Clarissa's family. We were going to have a whole bunch of people over. Not our house, theirs. It's way bigger. And it was going to be great. You know, all the cousins were going to be there. It was great food. It was going to be awesome. Now we're not doing that. At least it won't look the same. It'll be different somehow. We've got to do it outside. We've got to do it different night, whatever. And there's a part of me that in that moment, you're like, Really? Really? I was, it was last year, and I was just, I really wanted this dinner with our family. I, but you're, you're saying, you know what? Even though there was a moment of discontentment, it's coming back and saying, okay, well, God, you sent this. This is filtered through your sovereign hand, so it must be good. I don't really think it is right now, but like, I'm, I'm trusting that you're, you're doing something. Perhaps, maybe it's just so I'll be content more in you. Maybe that's the thing you're working in me, but I, I trust that there's goodness in it. So that's our first point. The contentment is found in who is in charge. Uh, the second thing we see is that contentment is found in who is with us. 
who is with this. Uh, Mary's contentment is not found in what is happening in her situation or what will happen. Her contentment is found in who is with her. That's what the angel comes and announces to her. First, uh, in verse 28, we see this. Uh, The angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Uh, So the the word, O favored one there, uh, it means literally like the one who's been given grace who's received grace. It's not, perhaps, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, that hail Mary full of grace. It's, it's actually Mary who has received grace. Mary, Mary is not a, a source of grace to us. She's an object of grace. She doesn't deserve any of, any of this that has happened to her. And God has given it to her. And the, the greatest grace he's, he's given her here is that the Lord is with her. The Lord is with her. And so how does that help Mary? How does, how does God being with her help her? Well, I think it helps her because it means that she has something to hold on to no matter what happens. So think about it like this. Um, Mary uh, is from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, she's not an important person. She doesn't have a lot, right? A normal kind of peasant life. And everything that she does have, it's about to be taken away. Her relationship with Joseph, probably going to end. The relationship with the family can be strained at best, right? All the respect and reputation she's worked hard to build in the community, gone. Yet in the midst of all that, uh, she has something that can't be taken away from her. She has that God is with her. That's going to be her anchor in the storm. And in fact, if we look throughout the Bible, we see that, that this promise of God being with his people That's actually the thing that helps a lot of people in the midst of their hard times. It it helps them have contentment. Uh, Think of the story of Joseph. Joseph, multicolored robe, Joseph. Uh, He he was like the the most beloved son of his father. Everybody loved him. Not his brothers, they hated him. That's why they sold him into slavery. They come, they sell him into slavery, and, uh, and he's there and he's a slave for many years, working hard, and then he gets unjustly accused of rape, gets thrown into prison. And in the midst of all of these things that have happened to Joseph, you can imagine why he would be discontent. You can imagine why he'd be bitter at his brothers, at God. But there's no hint of that as we read through the story of Joseph. None of that. In fact, the opposite. Joseph is going out of his way to serve in the prison, other prisoners, to help out the guards. He just seems like this guy who's, who's content. And what you, you notice is three times in that passage, uh, the narrator reminds us, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. There was something about the fact that that God was with Joseph that enabled him in the midst of all of that, being sold into slavery, being thrown into prison, to be content. I mean, you see it in the life of the Apostle Paul, too. Here's a guy who should feel discontent with his circumstances. You know, he has people who whip him, who try and stone him, who throw him into prison. And in the midst of that, when he's thrown into prison, what does he do? He sings. He's singing praises to God in the midst of that. Why? Because he knew that God was with him. This is what we see uh, the, the author of, of Hebrews write really explicitly in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why should you be content with what you have? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here the, the author is saying... The reason you should be content is because God is with you. Because God says he'll never leave you. That's your reason for contentment. 
That's your, your ground, your hope, your, your root for why you can actually be content is because God is with you. And it's the same for Mary. That's, that's why she could be content. Because no matter what else was taken away, she had the Lord with her. It was this grace that had been given to her. And it's a grace that's been given to us too. Because through the child that Mary bore, through Jesus and his death and resurrection, he has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us now. And he promises a, a new life for us where we will live forever with him. In fact, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God drawing near to his people. That a God who, who was far and distant and removed from a people who were rebellious and wanted nothing to do with him. God came and humbled himself as a baby and drew, drew near to those people. So that, that all people who had rejected God and rejected the contentment that he offers could be with him again. Because in our hearts, uh, we all reject the things that God gives us. Naturally, that's, that's the way we are. Like Adam and Eve, right back in the very beginning, God puts them in the garden. They're with God in the midst of a beautiful garden, all this fruit. And God says, all of this fruit, it's yours. You can eat it all, except that one. And what do they say? That's the one I want. The one thing I can't have, that's what I want. And that's what we do, right? With all the things in our life. God says, look at all I've given you. Look at all the grace I've given you, all the blessings I've bestowed upon you. And what do we say? Well, but if I just had this, then I could be happy. And in the process, we are rejecting all the goodness that God's given and we're rejecting God and the goodness that can be found in him. So what we have to remember is all that God's given us, all the grace that he's bestowed upon us. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, Jesus has saved you from sin. He saved you from death. He promises to be with you now and forever. What else do you need? Actually, what else do you need? There's no condemnation. You're not guilty. You have this Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have a future that, that can never be taken away. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What else do we need? We have the very best things in Christ. And, and that, if we can grasp that, that is true freedom. That is the, the, the key that will all unlock true freedom in our lives. That, that kind of contentment. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to say, you know what? No matter what happens in my life, whether things are good or whether things are bad, I can be content. Because my contentment is not based on what? It's based on who? Right? Th- this awful thing happens at work. This person's sick. You know what? This friend doesn't like me anymore. It's hard, but it's also okay because we have everything we need. Uh, let me give you an example again from George Mueller's life. Uh, George Mueller, his wife's name was uh, Mary, and they had an incredible marriage, a uh, super strong uh, relationship. They, they loved each other dearly. Uh, they were prayer warriors uh, together. They would pray for 40, 50 minutes every night uh, together for the needs of the orphans, for the needs of things in their, their family and community. Uh, they worked together and labored together for the orphanage over years and years and years. Uh, but one day, uh, Mary gets sick, and, uh, and her sickness gets worse. Eventually, they call in uh, a doctor, and the, the doctor comes and says, you know what, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to her. It looks bad. She might make it, but she might not. We don't know. And Mueller says that on hearing this, his heart was broken, because he loved her dearly. And, and you can imagine the discontent that would start to form, 
right? Well, like, God, why this, God? Does it really need to be now? This is so soon. Who's going to take care of our kids? Who's going to help me run the orphanage? This is my great friend. But yet, in the midst of this, there was a man who knew who was in charge and knew who was with him. Because as he recalls what he, he thought and remembered in that, that moment, uh, this is what he says. He remembered Psalm 119. The Lord is good and does good. All will be according to his own blessed character. If he pleases to take my dearest wife, it will be good, like himself. What I have to do as his child is to be satisfied with what my father does, that I may, be glor- that I may glorify him. After this, my soul not only aimed at, but by God's grace attained to, I was satisfied with God. So here's a man that whether his wife lives or dies, he can say, I'm content. I'm satisfied. Because I know that whatever God brings me, it will be good like he is. And I know that whatever happens, I can run to a God who I can be satisfied and content in. Again, this doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's not hard and difficult. And when his wife did end up dying, he, he was heartbroken. It was painful. It was hard. But yet in the midst of that, He had a contentment that was not based on his circumstances. He had a satisfaction that got him through that time. And and so the question for us is really, are are we satisfied with God alone? Like, is Jesus enough for us? That's really the question we've been asking this whole series. Is Jesus enough? Because if he's not, you will never find true contentment until he is. Right? The, the contentment will just be a, a fleeting, superficial, shallow contentment that will rise and fall with your circumstances. If, if you want true contentment, you need something solid. You need a rock that you can build upon. You need an anchor. And I know that for some of us here right now, there's a lot of things in our life uh, that we are maybe... Uh, not happy that we're in the midst of uh, situations that have just come on us recently or perhaps been going on for a long time. We're frustrated, we're discontent, and we're hurting. But can I remind us of something? Uh, the, the problem is not in our circumstances. The problem is that we are looking for contentment in the wrong place. We're looking for contentment in what, not in who. We're looking for contentment in in the people around us, in the situations around us, instead of running to the one who can truly give us contentment. Instead of running to Christ and remembering that he is actually enough for us in our life. So let me just close with uh, three just practical examples. Maybe these will apply to you, maybe these won't, but can I help you think through what this might look like in your life? Uh, Maybe you're here today and uh, your marriage is struggling, been maybe struggling not for months, but for years. It's, it's been hard. The love that you thought you had at first isn't there anymore. Uh, you don't feel like you're getting the love that you hope for from your spouse. The solution is not just to fix your spouse, right? You should you, you go for counseling, do that, pursue that. But the real solution is 
you, you need to remember that, that Jesus is the one who loved you with an undying love. A, a never failing, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That's the kind of love that Jesus has loved you with. Your contentment is not found in how your spouse treats you, it's found in him. Perhaps you're, you're here and you're, you're worried about the future. School, jobs, relationships. Your contentment is tied up in, in how is this thing going to go? Are things going to turn out the way I'm hoping? Well, we have to remember that our contentment, our hope, is not in what happens in the future. It's that Jesus is here with us now. He's here with us now. We can have joy and satisfaction in him. And there is a future that it is perfect and glorious and where there will be no sin, no sadness, no sickness. And maybe you, you are here and today and there's someone in your life who's having uh, health difficulties. And it's hard. It's really hard. You miss what you had before. You miss the people. You miss those things. We can remember in that time, we have a greater friend that will never be taken away from us. No matter what happens with the friends in our lives, the loved ones, we have one who will never leave us, who we can always run to. Friends, Jesus is enough. He is enough. If you have Jesus, you have a shield about you that no weapon of the world can pierce. You have a rock that cannot be moved. You have an anchor that is secure and steadfast. Our contentment is not found in what? It's found in who? And he is enough. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, how we see such such little of your true beauty. Uh, there is so much in you that we do not see with our eyes. There is so much in you that we, we turn away from. Lord, bring us to see you as you are. Bring us to see the wonders and the storehouses of grace that you've lavished upon us. Help us to run to you, not to our situation. Help us to run to you, that you might be enough. And for those of us who perhaps have not turned to you, uh, Lord, would, would you grant them the grace? Would you grant them the faith to trust you as their good master? To trust that you are enough? And Lord, would we glorify you in the way we honor you and love you above all things? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.